Today I talked to John Barons. This was originally recorded February 27th, 2020. Four, three. What's up, friends? What's up, friends? We're back. But why not? But why not? Then I swear. There we go. What's up, friends? We're live again. This is the But Why Not live show. And uh, we actually just launched the podcast last week. So we have our first, this is our 46th episode. And uh, we have the first two episodes um, up on whatever you listen to podcasts on. So that's something we're working on. Uh, today we have John Barons. And John has a famous sibling. John, why don't you tell us about that? So, like, he's pretty good, but he's not the best. And um, I prefer you don't call him my famous sibling because Billy really doesn't deserve all that clout. He's an okay lawyer. He's not the grandest of Milwaukee, but I'd say he's a pretty high ranker in Brookfield, Wisconsin. Sweet. So, so Billy Barron's great lawyer in Milwaukee and uh, definitely a notable sibling of John's. Um, John, what's your question of the day for Northeast Wisconsin? All right. Two most famous... Appleton residents are undoubtedly Harry Houdini and William Defoe. If you had to fight to the death with the two of them, which one would you choose to be your opponent and why? Okay, so you are pairing up with one of them to fight the other? Yes. Okay, and it's no matter what, it's a 2v1, you are in the two situation? Yep. Okay. You're in a completely neutral environment, but um, William Defoe, let's assume he can choose any of the powers of any movie he acts in, mm. you know, Spider-Man, Aquaman, that weird one with like the dough and all that. And, um, you know, Harry Houdini, he's just a magician. You know, he can magic you. Dang. Okay, so <laughs> so you get Harry Houdini or Willem Dafoe on your side in a fight to the death. Who do you choose as your, as your ally? Who do you choose as your opponent? Who would you choose? I would choose Harry Houdini, because Willem Dafoe, he's strong, but Harry Houdini, he's just, he would just be hard to hit. I think he's like, um, he's like uh, Voldemort from Harry Potter, except his horcrux is just his appendix, and he's already got that destroyed, so what can you do? <laughs> because he's coming back from the dead, or what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's already got it taken out, and you know, appendicitis, it's no laughing matter, but... Um, You're right, I'm sorry. <laughs> that, apologize to him, you're gonna be facing him. <laughs> So now, so now I have to join. Oh no! Okay, yeah. Okay, I I get what you're saying. Yep, that's funny. His Horcrux, you said. Yeah, Horcrux. You know, cheap shot to the like immortality and all that. Um, yeah. Good way to spin God's face and look fashionable doing so. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sweet. So, you just came up with that on the spot. Oh, in the past five minutes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. But something that's going to keep me up at night. Sure. Going to think about this a lot. Yeah. So um, so you said you've been doing stand-up for a year and a half, um, and we met uh, the first time from you doing a stand-up show, the second time at an open mic. Um, what's what's that been like, and, and how serious are, are you taking that these days? Stand-up's really one of the things that kind of keeps you going. Kind of like on a serious note, it just is like, a, it's a drive for me. It's not just like um, something that's like super competitive, but it's enough that you want to keep your edge on to it. But at the same time, everyone in the stand-up scene here in Wisconsin, I'm talking people from Green Bay, from Appleton, from Menasha, uh, Nina, everywhere like that, there are really great people and they really like help you out in helping you find your niche something that keeps you and them entertained but you keep going for more of it yeah um when you say competitive and keeping your edge um do you more so mean do you mean with other comics and it's kind of like oh they've been working on their craft like i need to like write more i need to like get up there or is it more like competitive with yourself or some combination i think it's a little bit of both so when i talk about competitive with others take for example skyline comedy club we have open mic every wednesdays at 7 30 p.m sign ups at 6 30 buy one get one free bring your wallet it's, it's a, a good show definitely. it's it's fun really fun yeah 
They have a little prize called the Chuckle Chain. Mm -hmm. And you know, whoever does the best with getting the best laughs, doing the most, so to speak, mm -hmm. whoever can really like uh, give you their admiration for the effort they put into it, they win that Chuckle Chain and they bequeath it to the next individual the following week. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's um, a word that uh, really does get a lot more people into it. It gets people going for it. Mm -hmm. And it really, most importantly, gets people to trying their absolute best for it. Have you, how many times have you done Skylines, Mike? I do Skylines, Mike, um, let's see. I did it on a bi-weekly basis last year. Now I do it on a weekly basis now. Okay, so every week? Is every week. Okay. Have you gotten the chuckle chain? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't let it get to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get there. You'll get there. I hope so. <laughs> um, sweet. Yeah, I think uh, I think Northeast Wisconsin, which we just established, is maybe everyone has a different idea of what that actually is. But Fox Cities, Green Bay, Sheboygan. I feel like. Uh, there's some some good things happening there's some people taking it seriously uh and there's people that have been for a few years and i think the longer that that goes down the road that way meaning you know the five to ten people taking it really seriously that have been doing it for two three four years the longer they can not get like taken out of the scene by you know, a family or a full-time job or something else. I think the further this scene is going to like grow camaraderie and grow um, mentors and audience and bringing new people out to shows and stuff. I think it's pretty cool to see what's been going on. Camaraderie <laughs> is a great way of establishing it. Um, the one thing I was really uh, concerned about when I first started open mic was kind of getting in a rough, uh, rough audience mm. i i'm not gonna lie like hecklers can kind of scare me a little bit but um nobody really heckles you with malicious intent they um they'll do it to help you follow up your joke they'll do it to keep you going and the best kind of hecklers are the ones that keep you on target now, i'm not saying you should heckle everyone i mean right. nobody wants that but right. it's something that um kind of keeps you understanding that uh you know, there's something at here. There's something that's uh, that's challenging you to keep going. And yeah. I actually brought in two of my friends yesterday to uh, come to open mic with me. Oh, nice. I wanted to get there. Um, was it a good show last night? It was a great show. Yeah. Yep. Fills out like within the first five minutes of sign up. But mm -hmm. I was trying to get these friends to try it out. Did they do it? Ultimately not. But <laughs> not saying they're a chicken, but. Uh, Sam, Noah, you know what you are. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. Who, uh, so you're saying hecklers are just like trying to help? I feel like in Wisconsin, that's true. Like maybe nowhere else. I don't know. <laughs> I think I might get eaten alive in Chicago. Let's be honest. Yeah. My, what? I'm underestimating the hecklers down there. But I'm seeing that up here. Yeah. When you have like your friends in the audience, it's like the difference between your friend calling you a dumbass and like a rando on the highway calling you a dumbass. On right. one hand, with your friends, you know it's playful. It's something that uh, they know you can take, mm -hmm. something you can fight back against. On the highway, it just makes you feel bad about yourself. Right. So if you can have the mentality about hecklers that like, oh, they're just trying to, if you can always see a heckler as someone just trying to help you out, uh, it would be pretty easy to makes it easier to navigate. I think so, definitely. So, um, so is there like a pattern of performance or or like art in your family? Because um, like, obviously Charlie does his thing. He's does a lot of, I guess, creative work is the best way to put it. But you know, comedy, video. Um, you're, you've been in comedy for over a year. Um, is Charlie the oldest brother? He's number two in the number family two. line. 
And there's a brother ahead of him? Yep, that'd be my brother, Andy. Okay. Um, so in the family of 12, is there a lot of artists and I would say that such? there's a good amount of artists here and there. It's not something that we're overtly, like, you know, showcasing. But <laughs> Going for it. Yeah. yeah. But I've got some uh, siblings who are really good artists. I have some siblings who are really good carpenters. I have siblings who do really well with cooking, siblings who do really well with writing. I think we all have different uh, little niches and talents. Mm -hmm. And um, that's something that kind of gets showcased in different ways, usually when you're coming up with a last minute gift for the parents' anniversary. <laughs> nice. Um, but like nothing explicit, like where you guys were all in like piano lessons or like did all like uh like join the plays or something in school i don't so my older siblings all were taught piano lessons by um a nun you know just in case we couldn't be any more catholic <laughs> but uh yeah we got to like a retired nun and um our day and age retired nun basically means you know the traditional traditional catholic school nuns you know with a uh with a nice guiding hand in one hand and a ruler ready to smack you in the other hand. Sure. <laughs> Did you actually get hit with a ruler? Not me, personally. Yeah, I was going to say. There were some allegations, but... <laughs> I feel like we're, like, too young. We're kind of in a newer age where nuns were actually reprimanded for doing a bold black new stuff like that. Yeah. I grew up Catholic as well. Um, I was at a Catholic school till fifth grade but my heathen younger brothers didn't didn't end up going that route for shame for shame yeah have fun in limbo devil worship yeah right <laughs> we'll be in heaven um sweet so like what drew you to comedy like and then and then tell me about like your first ever comedy experience so what really kind of drew me in comedy was for one thing, writing. I did a lot of writing on Facebook growing up. Um, I did on a lot Facebook? Yeah. I so, oh, jo like you would do jokes on Facebook? Status jokes, things like that. Yeah. This is back in like the 2008 to 2014 years. Mm -hmm. So like, um, you know, this is before it was uh, something you could make a career of. I was doing it for the arts, <laughs> he says yeah. wistfully. 12 years ago. So this is like middle school you're talking? Uh, middle school, high school. Yeah. Um, it's nothing I'm going to pull up right now. Uh, right. But um, <laughs> it's something that's going back. That'd be fun, though. Going through my old Facebook posts? Yeah, Griff, you should just pull it out. No, no, please, <laughs> please. Jesus, no, please. <laughs> I'm not prepared for that, mentally or spiritually. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's something that I actually love to do uh, growing up just making some jokes with that. Then in college, I got into Instagramming and making like some funny pictures off of Instagram and all that. Now I do my stuff more kind of like um, at an even more personal pace. I guess it's something where it's like you're trying to find yourself or all that mm -hmm. jazz and. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. That's why you do it, you're saying, or, or that's the approach you take now? I think it's, you know, a half-half approach. On one hand, I'm not doing it on social media as much as I am doing it either on the stage or writing it personally. Mm. And like, if I'm doing it on stage, it's something I want people to hear. If I'm writing it personally, it's more like the uh, inner workings of my mind tinkering out something that's barely legible. Mm. So you're just writing to get better at writing, but like you're writing to learn about how your mind works. Oh yeah. I just kind of call it pinballing. Yeah. It's like freestyling, but uh, a lot more lights and a lot more dings going on. Yeah. So, okay. So I like that. I, uh, so through, this is my third year doing like Venture Wisconsin, which um, is why we're here. And um, obviously you get better and more frequent as you go, but uh, we do a lot of video content and I was like, when I first started, it was like a monthly pace, like one video a month. And then like slowly it got to like weekly. And now we're at like, um, most weeks we're posting, you know, two, three, four videos a week. Um, 
each of these those like increases like from monthly to weekly from weekly to like two or three times a week coincided with like um a change in my routine so basically establishing like a morning routine like in the morning i make my bed i like do gratitude and i'm really trying to implement like writing into my morning routine and i've i've done it a few times but i always think i think i get hung up because i think i like have to accomplish something when you're just like writing to work out the the ping pong or, or sorry that pinball writing um like like what are you usually writing about are you writing out ideas or thoughts or are you like writing out like a short story or like an epic or like what like what comes out in those sessions yeah i like to call it an epic everyone else would probably call it something else but um <laughs> i actually do like to do a lot of like fantasy writing uh science fiction slash fantasy okay. writing back in college and i won a award for um doing a short story really and I'm not going to lie. That was something that I just nailed away the night beforehand. Wow. So that, and that felt good? Like, that resonated? Like, that was, like... I honestly didn't even know. Like, um, <laughs> I obviously, it felt good to win it and everything. Yeah. But it felt like it was something that I kind of just, like, left out just as quickly. I spent a little bit of time editing it, but that was it. Didn't even show anyone beforehand what it was. Just kind of uh, threw it in. And I learned it one later on. Nice. They didn't, like, contact you? Oh, as in, like, to tell me I won? Yeah. No, they they did contact me to let me know. And oh, I was okay. like, you can't be serious. Yeah. I, <laughs> you guys, you made a mistake. Yeah. Interesting. It it was a really fun little story, though. Yeah. So you're, okay, so you're doing, like, full-blown dialogue type stuff. This one was more of like a little creative story. Mm -hmm. It was um, it was something I was kind of familiar with. One of my main interests is reading in history, so I wanted to go for a perspective of like you know humans and all that. So I took the Grim Reaper as a protagonist, okay. made him just kind of like a stereotypical businessman, and basically his it just collects him going through humanity, growing as like a species, ending up him having to take on too many workloads around World War II. The Cold War is basically him taking a sabbatical, and then it comes back to him kind of like getting off his sabbatical and realizing his work is piled up. Oh, nice. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know how to respond to that, but I like it. I don't think anyone did at that no, point. No, yeah. That's why you won. They're like, uh, I, okay. <laughs> There's really not he, much of a point won. in Oh, in wow. trying to explain that right <laughs> okay no I, I see I see like where you're going with that though that is I, I feel like that is a a good approach to comedy if you can say um, especially in like sketch comedy like if you can say okay what if it's there's this type of person or this character but like in this scenario where like you would never see that character and like if you can come up with those and then come up with like the like how it you know how they meet how the two worlds meet um i feel like there's a lot of like meat there that's what i really like about studying history i mean you know did you ever like history when you were studying in school um yeah definitely uh i also like I watched a lot of TV as a kid mm -hmm. and I would watch documentaries like as often as possible. Basically either it was either space or history. Ken Burns. Like, I'm not sure. What did Ken Burns make? Uh, he did all the PBS stuff. Mm. His, his main style was that like he innovated taking photographs and you can make them interesting if you slowly zoomed on them while narrating over uh, yeah. them. <laughs> it's a big innovation. It was smart. Yeah. Definitely improved over the slideshow approach. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I have no idea if I was watching Ken Burns, but so you, you're a big history buff? I like to uh, research a lot of different types of history. Mm -hmm. I mean, research meaning like I like to look at old Wikipedia pages when I should be working. But <laughs> sure. It's... Um, 
I think like the one thing I find really interesting about it is that no matter what, it all just comes down to some guys just trying to do things that they find satisfying or, yeah. you know, just trying to eat, just trying to get through their days. And eventually you get all these systems that are propped up by people who just want to make sure they're eating. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, that is true. That's literally like what, <laughs> I mean, that's what humanity is, right? It's like, yep. let's, let's see if we can make as many people as possible eat. And then society is just two dudes looking for their next uh, sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. That's why I think Seinfeld is probably the best example of society you could get. Okay. Interesting. Um, unfortunately, I'm not well-versed enough in Seinfeld, to, but I get the premise. So um, do you bring out history like in your on state, like when you're on stage? Do you try to bring that in? I do a lot of history jokes every now and then. Yesterday I did like um, a bunch of ones on kind of like modern day, how the DNC operates in the context of it being a diner. You know, instead of being at TGI Fridays, it's Super Tuesdays. And I went on a bit about how all of the candidates are just different kinds of tippers. And we're just the waiters and waitresses. <laughs> That's true. Like who gets the most kind of a thing. Like you vote for them, they, they'll give you $12. If you vote for them, they'll give you 30 Like. Well, everyone's got like a different style of tipping. I always said like Sanders, he gives you five bucks no matter what. Um, <laughs> Warren, she gives you three bucks no matter what. Biden, he's a nice guy, but he gives you only like 20 cents or an impromptu stop and frisk. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, are you big into politics? Um, a little bit, but I probably shouldn't be. Why do you say that? What does that mean? I just have like a lot of doubts about things. Politics is kind of like interesting to me, but I also kind of like go across the line of a, you know, going there and back about it because I know it's there's a lot of relativity to it. But ultimately, you also have to have your own convictions. Sure. So you're just saying that your your mindset on it changes frequently, or like it does bounce around a lot. Yeah, it's something I. You know, for my own health, I have to keep a healthy distance away from. Sure. Otherwise, yeah. you just end up with something like, uh, I don't know, Henry VIII or Joseph Stone or something like that. Yeah. It's definitely, I don't know, the people who it's like their main thing that they love. I mean, unless you're eating because of it, right? Unless you, uh, Bingo. Unless you join that system where you're talking about it and you're making money. Like, I don't get why what the benefit I guess of having that be your main thought is because at the end of the day <laughs> when you think about politics you're ultimately just talking at people oh yeah because you're never like <laughs> you literally just like want to talk and you want to make sure that people heard you like because you know you're not changing their mind you know <laughs> it's just acid reflux and yeah. words <laughs> and warts is that you said acid reflux in words oh in words sorry sooner or later someone's getting it. it's you or it's your opponent but sooner or later it's gonna happen uh, right yeah that's goofy i actually did a little bit of debate back in high school and really when i say a little bit i mean i've done like two sessions of it okay and those kids are vicious i'm not gonna lie yeah was it fun it was fun to like um, get involved in it. But like when I say I'm like, uh, I prefer like a low key non-competitive environment. Sure. That's the opposite of what I'm looking at. Uh, like we're talking yeah. people whose parents will like train them to be the most competitive about it. Yeah, interesting. And they would actually like change it up so you would have to, um, you'd have to defend one position, the next round you were eviscerating it. Oh, okay. So it's like that whole thing of like, you know, you have to understand the arguments, but you can't have convictions in those arguments themselves. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or you, I mean, if you're really crazy, you can have convictions on both for the performance itself. Yeah, play it up, kind of like really just milk that for all it's worth. But um, yeah, they, uh, I'm not gonna lie, they go hard into it. Yeah, are they? It, um, is it nowadays where they talk really fast in the debate so they can get the most information out as possible? Yeah, that's, um, that's what like a lot an, of cynics call gishgalop. Yeah, and um, 
It's a tactic of, a tactic of dropping <clears throat> as much info into a debate in a small time frame. Yeah. So that you can't refute possibly everything. So that the other person can't refute everything? Correct. So, <laughs> that's so stupid. Yeah, that's where it goes. Yeah, that's weird. Anyway, um, was debate like your first stage time? Oh, no. What was the first time you like had stage time growing up? So when I was in middle school, my mom uh, led the school forensics team at my old uh, middle school. And forensics is in Wisconsin and I think a little bit nationally, it's basically competitive public speaking. Mm -hmm. There are multiple categories, things like reading from a book, reading poetry, reading, um, reading like a couple of group acts, giving a interpretation on a piece, doing some acting. It's like a bunch of Broadway producers met a bunch of beatniks and they decided to make a contest with their kids. For sure. Um, <laughs> is that like your favorite? Like, I feel like you're you're so good at those comparisons. You just like, is that your favorite punchline? It, comparisons are really fun for me, yeah. personally. Honestly, like um, <laughs> a lot of them, they just kind of come out of nowhere. But yeah. you know, the more crazy you can make it, the better. Right. It's really just kind of like a matter of really kind of beating it out and seeing what sticks. <laughs> right. That's a little inappropriate, but we'll keep going. No. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Mom's not watching this, right? <laughs> my, my mom isn't. Okay. But well, I don't know about yours. <laughs> she might be at church right now, so I think <laughs> we're in the good. clear. That's good. Sweet. Um, no, that's cool. Programming, like... And I feel like probably the more you write, the easier those, like, um, it's kind of like blank. Like, basically, you're trying to throw, um, is it a simile or a metaphor? Uh, similes, the as, uh, as, is, like, and okay. then uh, metaphor is just uh, calling something what, what it is, you know. Okay. No regards to the, to the propositions. Okay. So, it's a simile, right? It's kind of like, yeah. If you're saying like, it'd be a simile, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I feel like the more you write, if if you can program, like if you throw those out a lot with your friends, like your brain just starts picking up on like what you feed it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, has your communication changed in the past year and a half since you started writing and doing stand-up? I would say it has changed up significantly. I uh, have a specific way of speaking now where I kind of like unintentionally or so, I will throw in punchlines to specific <laughs> yeah. um, ideas. And sometimes it's for comedy, but sometimes it's just to hammer in a point, you know? Mm -hmm. Comedy's pretty remarkable for um, hammering in points because mm -hmm. uh, it's something that seems, you know, upfront, it, it has no relative relation to what you're talking about but then you start realizing that there's something that has a underlying meaning to it all along yeah it almost uh it, it's like adding spice to food or something it's just like more it just makes it more valuable with the same amount of effort if that makes sense yeah which and it gives people an opportunity to have something to share it's interesting it's like sharing ideas the the easier it is to explain an idea, the easier it's going to be if you share it with someone for them to go if they like it and like share it with someone else. Oh yeah. And if they have a joke attached to it. And you got to use it liberally. I mean, it's not my main thing, but it is something I definitely like rely on a good amount when it comes to conventional speaking. Mm -hmm. And then when it does come down to it, sometimes you have to understand that uh, the little blank spots where you don't say much can actually say the most. Right. Yeah, that's there's like a whole. You probably learned about that in school, I'd imagine, but there's definitely a lot to timing and like, especially in stand up, like the, and I'm only saying this from a overview of theory because I've I've done it. I've only done stand up twice, mm -hmm. but sometimes it's more about when you choose to be silent than like what you're actually saying. They call that a beat in both uh, stand-up mm. and conventional theater. Okay. 
It's uh, basically comes down to kind of like that meaningful silence. Oh, that's where it comes from. It's music. Okay. Having a, like yeah. a beat basically gives you time to soak things in mm-hmm. instead of just generally overwhelming it. Yeah, definitely. It's fascinating how it's all the same rhythm, right? It's all yeah. the same um, metaphor, you know, but just enacted in different fun ways. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the most interesting thing about pursuing anything, whether it's comedy, whether it's a podcast, whether it's, um, you know, doing a content series or whatever, I feel like anything that's kind of performance based is like, gives you the opportunity to, to see how your head works and like, um, I think the words you used earlier was finding yourself, but like, or like just finding your voice. Like I imagine that's kind of the process that you've been going through over the past year and a half since you started stand up. Yeah, and a lot of it is like trying different styles to see what works best by you. Um, Basically every medium can be like separated into different styles, which can be further separated into different styles. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie School of Rock Mm -hmm. with um, Jack Black. Jack Black, thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, He has this really good diagram that explains all the different contemporary styles of music Mm -hmm. and what led to what. So like you're taking blues, you're taking hard rock, hair metal, uh, contemporary rock, alternative rock, all that. It can be pieced together to specific instruments, specific idea movements, and mm-hmm. specific uh, speaking styles and ethnicities. Yeah, <laughs> that's like, I feel like the whole thing that you just based that on was like 30 seconds in the actual movie. <laughs> like, that's actually uh, really funny. Um, yeah. I actually do um, a lot of musical theater and School of Rock did get adapted into an actual musical. Really? And on their advertising, I saw this when I was visiting New York City and Broadway. Okay on their actual advertising is that entire board placed around the front of the theater. So okay. you can actually get the opportunity to appreciate all that time that one intern went through to contemporize the entire Wikipedia page on rock music. Right. And give it an overlaying diagram on a whiteboard. Wow. I wonder, like I wonder how long it took someone on staff at whoever produced that movie to like design that and develop it just for that one scene. I think it was Jack Black himself, actually. You think so? Probably. He's, he's a big like musician. Yeah. I I honestly think he like he'd be the one to like write that to himself, you know, just True. for giggles. Yeah, he's the kind of guy that would do that too. Just like go above and beyond what he had to to for a punchline. Like, for a punchline and just like something that like he just wanted to do, you know, where some people would be like sit in the trailer and just see what the director has ready for me when I get there. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's a different breed. Really is. For sure. <laughs> there literally, I think this was like maybe eight months to a year ago. He made like a YouTube channel and it was like just him on his phone. Just like, Hey, I'm doing this YouTube thing. <laughs> just like Jack black being Jack black. And I think he got like 6 million, uh, subscribers in like, a week or something or a couple days. I think it's just his personality. Oh, just he's awesome. He's a lovable guy and he's like a very personal guy. He, yeah. Like uh, you know, big thing like I hear compared between actors and comedians that comedians seem much more down to earth and, and kind of like impressionable mm-hmm. with fans and everything. And I think in large part it's just like, you know, they don't like really make mistakes about who they are. They use that as their own media right that's their platform yeah and then like you take actors or like models or a lot of like musicians a lot of them will try and play you know their highlight reels to really sell themselves true actors they play their blooper reels instead right comedians mm-hmm. yeah definitely comedians jeez um, yeah no it's good no you're definitely right so I was at uh Fox Valley Comedy's, I think their most recent show at Appleton Beer Factory. 
um, I think it was Steve Hartman, who's a great local comic. Um, I, I'm pretty sure this is where I heard this, but he was talking about um, just like how hard it is to get up and and tell jokes, you know. Um, it is really fascinating the difference between like music and comedy, I guess. Like what can all go wrong and like how masterfully you have to approach um comedy you know it's like moment to moment no one's holding you up where like music you're usually accompanied by something that can like uh cradle a mistake or cradle you as you make a mistake you know um where do you want to take comedy or a performance or do you do you have any of that like in your mind you know i mean i honestly want to keep comedy kind of in a position where i can be relaxed with it uh i think like the best way i can like really phrase the stuff i like is like the kind you can drink a beer to mm -hmm. a big thing with um things that i really like are comedy alternative rock um modern alternative Oh, yeah. I really like Mine Alternative. Who, who do you listen to? I really like the Lumineers. I like okay. uh, Young the Giants. Okay. I've uh, seen Young the Giant at Summerfest in Milwaukee, and that's a, that's a story. Would that, fall, would that fall under, like, indie almost? Um, it's quasi-indie. The best way I can describe genres is by which radio stations are brave enough to play them. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, um, back home before I had like Spotify and all that magic to go with it I had Pandora and I had FM 1021 in Milwaukee mm. and 1021 is like iHeartRadio's sounds different alternative stage uh, okay and iHeartRadio being a you know media outlet they go for um, what most people will recognize so the way they do that is that they take a little bit of the indies, a little bit of the more popular recent alternative, and a lot of the old altern alternative. Mm -hmm. So like ways I could like phrase this, indies would be somebody like Lumineers, Young the Giants. Mm -hmm. um, older alternative would be things like Weezer, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mm -hmm. Then you're getting into the um, older, older, older ones like um, The Clash, uh, mixing it in with like some 1990s stuff like The Offspring. You sure. know, stuff that is gradually becoming the classics. Mm -hmm. You combine them together and slowly you feed the people who like have been listening to this for a while, the people who are listening to this now and the people who are looking for the next big thing. Right. And that alternative radio station is what kind of led me into some more indies music. Okay. And I've met like people, I won't describe myself as an outright indies fan, but I like enough indies music to, to kind of get an appreciation for what it is. Nice. Yeah. Would that be like Bon Iver kind yeah. of thing? Okay, cool. Bon Iver is like, uh, um, it's a soft, genteel type of uh, music yeah. that, like I was saying, you listen to it with a beer in your hand. You, right. You kind of feel it. So that's the energy you're going for with your comedy? Um, kind of a mix between that. And every now and then I'll do something that's a little more high energy. Mm -hmm. You know, like Weird Al, um, Jack Black, something like that. Sure. Where it's definitely like kind of like satire. It's almost a pastiche. Mm -hmm. Something that uh, they really just kind of like go for a hard persona and yeah. that persona becomes something that they carry throughout with him. Does that come from like a love of like Jack Black and Weird Al in particular, like those two that you mentioned? I'd say that they were definitely influences. Yeah. And the thing for me is that I need to figure out how to carry something like that because they probably have like really hard times like where, you know, they're just trying to eat in a restaurant and somebody will be outright quoting their music. Mm -hmm. But I've been heard of like an instance where Jack Black or Weird Al just kind of like yell at their fans or anything like that. They will play along with them. Mm -hmm. It's it becomes like a game to them, even as demanding as that energy goes, because mm -hmm. that's like no small feat, honestly. To not get annoyed yeah. at people like being all over you? I'd say so, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, sweet, man. So what do you think about, like what do you think about 
Northeast Wisconsin's comedy scene and like opportunities it offers. Like, do you think, do you think it's a good training ground? Do you think it's something, um, do you think it's something that will continue to grow? Do you hope to like move to like a bigger markets comedy scene? Like what's your take on the scene around here? You know, I see. I think like Northeastern Wisconsin is like the best kind of comedy scene. It's one where not only is it easy to enter into, but it's also one like where, you know, you can mix it up with the legends, with the uh, people who are on their first time of doing it. And everyone will be nice and congenial about it. There's like a untold amount of mutual respect with it. At like a point, it feels less like you're just like uh, trying out your art form in front of like an un unwelcome uncaring crowd and it feels more like you're just throwing your bits around if you bomb you bomb but nobody's gonna hold that against you because everyone does that Mm -hmm. i think it needs to grow honestly yeah definitely um yeah like i think we kind of mentioned at the beginning i think there's a lot of a lot of mics that have opened up and i think um whether it's Fox Valley comedies shows or who's on fifth and Oshkosh or um, just the clubs kind of doing their thing. It seems like it's been growing and there's more opportunities for these people who have now been doing it for two, three, four, five years, you know, um, it all comes down to stage time, right? You need a lot more people with a lot more stage time, but um, I think it'll keep going there. Definitely. Um. Sweet. So, what was the first time you ever did stand up? Like, what was that like? First time I did it was actually at my school, Saint Norbert, and we had something of a um, a canned food strive talent show. This is something that's put on by like a local um, a local uh, student group. So they asked me if I wanted to try it out because they like some of my writings online. I said, sure, I'll try it out. And they just talked about like a family car ride, you know, did some basic things, got a couple of laughs and I thought it was pretty great, you know, nice. that wasn't something I really followed up on, but that's more because I didn't like have something nearby. I could really work it out with. Right. How old were you at the time? I would have been 18 or so. Sure. Was it like a few minutes or? Yeah, it was only like six minutes or so. Weirdly enough, that's more time than, you know, most newcomers ever get, but. Yeah, it is funny. People were having a lot of faith in me, so. Yeah. <laughs> I think for a lot of people, there is beginner's luck. Because, like, the first time I did a show, um, the first of two times I've ever done it, um, I hosted, or I opened, I guess, a student comedy show at UW Oshkosh. Um, and I think I did, like, seven minutes. And... Um, the crowd was like super forgiving and they they laughed a few times um definitely didn't go that well when i did the skyline mic um a couple months ago do you like that kombucha that's your first it's one pretty decent it's kind of different i've never right? had it before honestly yeah it's an acquired taste for it's, sure yeah that's like all liquors though yeah <laughs> it's not liquor but there is it is a brewed drink there's a it's fermented i guess it's not but it's like there's no alcohol in this it's like less than a half percent am i drinking it for then yeah right it's it's the the oduls of uh probiotic drinks <laughs> yeah like I was, if i was a freshman and you told me that I was alcoholic i'd definitely act drunk right <laughs> honestly um cool man so when so a year and a half ago how did it happen that you started taking it seriously because I'm I don't know if you told me this or if Lyle told me this but you've like opened up for your brother on some shows before like is that when you got back into it were you kind of in the swing of it at that point he I've helped uh, my brother write for some of his stuff so the thing he told me is to get time on stage and he could use like openers and all that I'd be able to help him out so I thought like you know it's an opportunity worth taking and then it turns out I really do enjoy like open mic as I start it and then more to the point it's something where I get out on that stage and 
it doesn't feel like it's a specific brand of comedy I need to be trying out. It's something I can develop at my pace. Definitely. And that was like the thing that, you know, Charlie started me off with that, but then I kept going because it was something that, once again, helped me kind of like figure out more stuff that was not just myself, it was also more stuff that I helped me develop the way I could talk. Mm -hmm. Actually, like, um, I used to have a lisp growing up, so I did forensics in a large part to learn how to talk better. Okay. And that was pretty instrumental in helping me figure out how I can speak. And a big way of like overcoming a lot of like my speech challenges is by really playing it up, mm-hmm. making jokes, keeping a show going, mm-hmm. um, even a little bit of monologuing here and there. That's um, something some siblings regret. <laughs> The monologuing. Sure. Regret just like giving you the space for or like having to listen to or like what do you mean? A little bit both, but mostly having to listen to it. Okay. (laughs) I mean, if I'm going to like, you know, make a quote off of a movie and keep going with it, Mm -hmm. um, they're not going to have it. Sure. (laughs) I mean, you could quote Ezekiel 2517 from Pulp Fiction and uh, they'll leave after the first path of the righteous. Uh, so are you, is your family big movie quarters or are you a big movie quarter? Yeah, a little bit of all that. Yeah. Yeah. My family has like specific movies they like and they will quote them. Yeah. One of the most quoted movies I've had growing up was Airplane. Okay. If you've ever seen that. Definitely. Um, uh, Shirley, you can't be serious. I am serious. (laughs) And don't call me Shirley. Yeah. (laughs) Um, our family's big movie quarters too. Um, mostly uh, Awesome Powers, Will Ferrell movies, uh, Step Brothers, Blades of Glory, yeah, Anchorman, Anchorman, yeah, a lot of quotables there for sure. But eventually, <laughs> for me personally, eventually you just kind of like okay, like. <laughs> I've heard that quote a lot of times. <laughs> like, you like your siblings, down. like your siblings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like it was also pretty great because um, one of the big things I've had growing up was in Airplane, there's a character named Johnny whose entire deal is one-liners. Like uh, they'll say, Johnny, can you get me some coffee? No, thanks. That's it. That's, that's his bit. Well, then my siblings learned that I could repeat any one of his quotes and retort it word for word when necessary. Right. <laughs> and then teachers learned that too, and it led to a very humbling uh, three years of middle school. <laughs> but uh, for it, so back to like you saying that uh, this has really been a way to carve out your voice or, or, you know, hone it in and get better at maybe speaking and communicating. I think. Uh, I think that's really cool, and I think it's on par with um, with what I've found through doing this show, even. Like, we're 46 episodes in. Um, the only two episodes we have online, like, if you go back and uh, listen to those podcasts, the first one was with Amon Green, mm-hmm. and the second was with um, the coach for Kimberly Football. Um, and, like, I'm... I'm barely holding on to the conversation. I'm just like, don't, don't fuck this up. Don't fuck this up. Just let it ride, like, you know? Yeah, exactly. But, um, but just like constantly putting the, you know, just asking questions, 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 like keeping it on them. And like, now I feel like you start to get more comfortable. Um, you try to express, um, like you said earlier, uh, <laughs> those illegible ideas where literally you have these ideas and you think they're so great when you go to share them it's like blah fuck I thought I thought I had something there but I don't know how to talk about it um the more you try and express those things in real situations like the better you get at it and there's a lot of value to that you know what I mean from from everything you're gonna do whether it's marriage friendship sales business you know what i mean it's just like it goes a long way comedy performance um so i think i think it's like thank you for sharing that i guess is what i'm saying but um i'm glad that uh 
that you're you seem very like um, on your path and like you you keep saying like on your own pace um, and I think that's the exact mindset you have to have if you're like hey I'm gonna be this is something I'm always gonna do or I want to always be doing um, that's when three five ten fifteen years down the line you go somewhere with it you know definitely yeah you know that's a uh it's um, something that's just been a lot for me to like work with, in large part because I know I'm always like trying to improve. Mm-hmm. Big thing I do is I can meander, you know, use a lot of words where a few would be necessary. <laughs> right. And sometimes it makes a point. Sometimes it leads to its own punchlines. But you know, there's something to be said for a nice, short, sweet, uh, to the point phrase. And I could just said there's something for a short phrase. <laughs> That's right. that's the point I'm trying to go with with that. <laughs> right. Have you ever considered doing... Do you like monologues? I do. Yeah. I actually, like, uh, look at them a lot, you know? In theater, there's monologuing, there's soliloquies, there's um, a lot of, like, little phrases where it's something that the attention is drawn to one individual, and they make the point using just themselves. Minimal stage direction, minimal... Um, Understanding, like you have the performing arts center across the across the way over there. Mm-hmm. Big one, you know, when a monologue's about to happen is when it's just the spotlight, one spotlight on one individual, and all that matters is that you're listening to what they're saying. Mm-hmm. They have like minimal actions; they have the commandment of their voice going on, and that's something that I do try to like direct, especially when you're on the stage is making every word count or every word having a reason. Mm-hmm. Destroying redundancy is a big part. Even redundancy for redundancy's sake, everything has to have a purpose. Right, yeah, definitely. If you're gonna repeat yourself, it was on purpose, definitely. Um, have you ever considered doing like a podcast or something? I feel like I feel like podcasting can be a great way to develop monologue capabilities maybe not like this but like like um bill burr or something i think he rants basically i've always been attracted to rants as well rants are great oh for sure gets the energy flowing and gets people going for sure something about it i i actually would like to do um podcasts but my big thing i would like to get started on are video essays for example um one thing i really like looking at on YouTube are analysis and essays. And um, a lot of those can be things like um, looking at a specific individual in a show. Uh, some that I'm mm. addicted to are like, um, are you a fan of any video games at all? So I actually got into video editing. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you play Xbox 360? Yes. Did you ever play like Modern Warfare 2? Yes. Yeah. Um, so there was like this is actually kind of how gaming on YouTube got huge was there was these trick shot montages the 360 no scope trick shots yeah MLG blaring the air horns yeah and those were huge like those like FaZe Clan who still does video game stuff now started as like a trick shot montage clan <clears throat> so uh, my gamer tag was I, you ever play Fallout I have yeah. I'm a huge Fallout fan nice so my gamer tag was drunk on Nuka Cola, and I started a YouTube it's channel. It's like an alcoholic drink. I know, right? You drink enough radiation poisoning, you know? That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I made trick shot videos, um, me and Griff here, actually. And uh, that's how I learned how to edit. And I was always drawn to video, but long story short, um, I don't play video games anymore, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, I used to be like, you know, get home from school and that's all I would do, basically. Well, that's like amazing, you know? I mean, I like to do video editing on Premiere and everything, mm-hmm. but the thing that really draws me are people who can make documentaries out of the smallest things. Mm-hmm. One big thing that kind of gets me is game design, and I've actually seen videos about this for both Fallout and Call of Duty. Okay. And it's like the theory of fallouts. Yeah, I know what, what you're talking about. What gives you that risk reward when you're choosing to use a grenade and timing it properly mm-hmm. versus using you know, the noob tube and popping a few. Right. Um, 
or even going into the plots of things. Like mm-hmm. what, for example, Modern Warfare 2, what makes Shepard such a compelling character? Mm-hmm. And why does it hurt so much when you see him betray you? Yeah. Um, I, I can literally picture the thumbnails of those videos like in my recommended for you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like a lot of, yeah. All of them the cons- theory of blank. I, I get a lot of those. And they're all conspicuously over 10 minutes for, um, for advertising time. Right. Yeah, yeah. For the algorithm. Yeah. Um, so you would like to make content like that. I'd like to do some video editing, video essays, mm-hmm. um, even over things like, um, this is actually something that goes off a lot. There's this one guy I watch on YouTube who does analysis is over like Disney videos. Mm-hmm. Bear in mind, this is a grown man who just like <laughs> looks at it from a contemporary perspective and he will talk about why certain Disney videos work, why certain movies work really well, why certain villains are the best, and what could cause them to be, you know, bad or even worse, forgettable. Hmm. Interesting. So if they had done it this way. Right. Usually it's a comparison between what went wrong with this one and what went really right for what you could call a classic. Mm-hmm. I know, like, what's the last movie you've seen? That's like a sequel or like a, a superhero movie, a Disney movie, anything like that? Star Wars. Star Wars. Yep. Do you prefer <clears throat> the, the sequels or the prequels? Um, I think I prefer the prequels. And that's such a, like... It's almost more. It's almost more mainstream to like the older ones. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. There's no hipster stance you can take on Star Wars because those are the so, classics, right? But um, probably the classics. I probably like those ones the best. Those would probably be like the best, but. You know, everyone likes to like make their own takes on the Star Wars movies. You could talk about Kylo Ren and compare him to Vader or Darth Maul from the prequel or mm-hmm. the prequel trilogies, and specifically what makes for a greater impact in a villain. And a lot of them will usually go into things like uh, talking about heroes' journey theory or right. even going on things about what makes them accessible as a character, namely if they're if they're like a believable in their motivations, Mm -hmm. if there's something that can hit close to home, and if it's something that has a satisfying character arc. Mm -hmm. And you could make feasibly a whole 10 minute video on that using nothing but the footage of the movie, um, bringing in some Wikipedia articles and using all that in perspective for the actual footage while you just speak over it. Right, so are you gonna do some of that? Maybe, I'd like to. (laughs) Try to get to it, right? In my time, yes. Right, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I definitely wanna do some documentary stuff. I do a lot of video, um, but whenever people ask me like, where do you wanna take Venture Wisconsin? Like all the way down the line. It's like, well, we could scale it and like do local activities, businesses and things to do in a bunch of different places. It's like, or if I find that like, that's not fulfilling to me, like I might try to build a team of creative people and like make documentaries. What would you like to do documentary on? Um, so, that's a good question. I like cutting edge science kind of stuff. So, and then I also like philosophy and like sometimes where those two things meet, you know what I mean? Um, Natural philosophy. Yeah. That's what they called science back then. Really? Yeah. Interesting. That's funny. Philosophy that fits in with math, basically. Maths, uh, trying to figure out what atoms actually are or if everything's just made of phlogiston or not. That's all like, um, you know, stuff like the Philosopher's Stone, um, Newton, all them, just mm. natural philosophers. Mm. Now that you say that, I have heard that before. It's like alchemy basically became science. Yep. <laughs> which is insane. Back when you just like either set stuff on fire or you just fed it lead and you saw what would happen. 
right <laughs> and you'd call that science um yeah that's what i would make documentaries about though is try and find try and find a story that uh, i felt like wasn't told yet but i do really like those videos that you're talking about um and it's funny because mine yours are falling more in like the film theory the fan like i i know for a fact i've watched like a 20 some minute video that's like the you know uh the Simpsons theory basically and it's like why it went from like the best show on TV to like a piece of shit basically and it's like a gradual process you know yeah it's something where you can just watch it little bits and little bits you can see individual episodes see how characters change mm -hmm. or you see just how lazy it gets after a certain point yeah and you can look at data about like viewership and um, and overlay a graph of when this writer left and when the you know it, it is fun um i'm actually really drawn to the the ones that are like the theory of this person who's a real person like mm -hmm. like mac miller or like um kendrick lamar or uh all mine are like comedians and hip-hop artists oh yeah <laughs> but yeah a little bit both right yeah yeah exactly i guess a little bit of some older musicians too but but yeah you should you should try i'd like to thank yeah, you yeah definitely um this just like keeps popping in my head your your brother made something that was like breaking lawn or something oh Do yeah you know what i'm talking about yep um is it like stuff like that is that something you could see yourself is that i felt like when i saw that i was like huh maybe he's trying to like test out some other things that he wants to try and do outside of the midwest comedy type stuff kind of like sketches and such yeah right yeah. um so like how it goes is that um he, we um toss a bunch of ideas around mm -hmm. in big ideas it's about going through a specific niche going through a specific demographic wisconsin's a hugely popular one because specifically it's got like a culture that's very unique. Yeah. It's not necessarily Uper, not necessarily Illinois. There's more of an encompassing variable that's kind of bound by the sports teams, the local cuisine, mm -hmm. and the local geography. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily like um, Illinois by itself is pretty segregated between the cities and the um, remaining farmlands. Right. Like Chicago could outplace the population for the rest of the state i think by 10 times over or so mm. and then you have um somewhere like minnesota where it's uh very much like cities and then suburbs mm -hmm. and that's got a similarity to wisconsin but it's also uniquely different because it's more on the west side of the midwest where it stretches into the great plains mm -hmm. and there's something to bear in mind with that wisconsin by itself you have the general assets of culture that have something that you can really like make jokes out of mm -hmm. and compare that to like something like how saturday night live does was just how snl does wisconsin versus how my brother does wisconsin and you're looking at something that kind of dwells between a um an outright parody versus an affectionate ribbing right yeah it's interesting it's true and I think it, it's almost, it's unexpected and kind of awesome how distinct the culture is and then how much pride is behind the culture. Um, like it's to the point where, cause like, I feel like in the Midwest, Wisconsin feels like we're the best. Like we won't, we're not gonna we're gonna be humble about it but we think we're the best you know yeah but like everywhere else like when you're considering every place um wisconsin like doesn't come up on the map almost but it's it's just fascinating how in the midwest we arguably have the most distinct culture which is like an opportunity obviously like like your brother built a platform on it you know which is amazing like we actually changed our like mission statement or guiding principle to like our goal now is to make wisconsin the most interesting place in the midwest because like you're not going to make wisconsin the most interesting place in the world probably unless you 
unless like VR and art opens up some crazy doors and for some reason conservative Wisconsin is like let's dive in before everybody else does does that make sense no no I get that I think we're showing now Foxconn <laughs> <laughs> yeah opening some wormholes or something there we go now yeah um We'll start our own Hydron Collider and <laughs> figure something new. Yeah, just a miniature Hydron Collider, small scale. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's an opportunity, and it is, it is cool how, and you just verbalized it well, that Wisconsin is a distinct culture, and that's attractive. No matter how, how goofy or... Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are from here that would like say they hate it, mm -hmm. but it makes us special or it makes the place special at least. Should I play in a Grand Theft Auto game in Wisconsin? And I think it'd be a pretty special response. <laughs> Should be, I producing it? Yeah. Like making a Wisconsin Grand Theft Auto? Grand Theft Auto, America's Dairyland. Oh man. <laughs> Other madness. A lot of drunk drivers and... <laughs> <laughs> shitty strip clubs and you it takes uh all your missions are just driving six hours to get to the next location <laughs> right uh like the bad guys are like jeffrey Dahmers and like <laughs> stephen avery's and stuff and then everyone just like you hard mode is just you starting off with a bears jersey on <laughs> right everyone's as uncooperative as possible yeah. police will automatically give you two stars on the lights because they see an <laughs> Illinois license plate right that's funny if anyone could do it it would be like you and your brother or oh. if anyone could sell it I guess it'd be you and your brother <laughs> we'll wait for them to announce that first gotta get maximum appeal at that time <laughs> well it definitely would cost a lot to hire someone to <laughs> develop a video game but That'd be funny. It could sell. I'd see it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It truly means a lot to me. 